Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, today I want to talk to you about your money. Again. I said, when's that guy going to quit? But one more week after this. Uh, there was a time in my life when I, I felt somewhat apologetic about preaching about money, bringing up money because of what people think, right? The pastors always want money, churches always want money, whatever. Uh, but in reality, what I've come to see is that I'm doing all of us a favor by preaching on money. Because what God has to say about money really matters and is really big. And when we get it right, it changes so much. In fact, we're, we're getting to the point now where it's in, in uh, looking at this issue where it's going to get exciting. The things that God has to say are exciting about this. So let's just do a quick review. We started off uh, uh, three, three weeks ago, yeah, three weeks ago and said this, that um, money works when you view it and use it the way God intends. In other words, God gave money for a reason. He gave it for a purpose. And it accomplished those purposes when we see it the way God says it is, and then when we do with it what God says to do. Now, in that very first week, we saw that there was something God wants us to do with all of our money. Do you remember what it was? What? Enjoy it. That's right. God said he wanted us to enjoy all of our money. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul wrote that scripture that says, talks about God who richly gives us all things to enjoy. And so we said then, on the basis of this principle here, that if we want to enjoy all of our money the way God intends, then we need to use all of our money the way God intends. And so we began working on that. Now, that second week, we talked about the fact that there's a heart connection when it comes to money. There's a heart connection. If you want to know uh, where someone's heart is, follow the money. Remember Jesus said, don't, don't store up your treasures on earth, store up your treasures in heaven, because where your, heart, or where your money is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And so he, he challenged us to use about where our heart is at uh, to be a barometer of how we're doing, okay? And then last week, we started talking about the nuts and bolts of stewardship. How can we be faithful in all of this money? And we looked at this diagram uh, where we're talking about being faithful stewards of our money, and we start with our giving to God at the top, tithe and offering, and then we, we want to try to work our way around this circle. And hopefully, eventually, all aspects of this are going on in our lives. And so we said we start with that giving, and then we pay our living expenses, and we save something, uh, as we believe God lives, leads, we make kingdom investments, and then we also enjoy it. So that is God's desire. So we see all of these things working out from that principle, that truth, that money works when you view it and use it the way God intends. Now, what I want you to see today, this whole idea of money working and money accomplishing God's purposes this is what I want you to get, and, and if nothing else, remember this, because this will give you stuff to chew on and think about for a long time to come. Your money is about more than money. It's about you and God. God has purposes for your money that would be about your relationship with him. 
about how he works in your life, how he grows you, how he stretches your faith, what are the results, of, and, and money is tied up in that. And so, but money's about more than money. We think of money, okay, do this, is money, but now God says money is about your relationship with me. Okay, and that's, that's really valuable, really important. And where we're gonna see that today is in the small book of Malachi. Malachi, the, end, uh, the last book in the Old Testament, uh, four chapters long. And it's not like a one guy one time talking to me, says, hey, this is pretty cool. There's a book of Malachi in my Bible. It's not Malachi, it's Malachi, okay? Uh, he was the last prophet of the Old Testament. He was challenging God's people about where they were at and how they were living. And, and the things are so bad, really, that we see that God didn't speak to his people again for about 400 years until Christ came. So these issues are big that Malachi is talking about. Um, so here's what was going on, what Malachi was trying to address. He, he challenges in this letter the fact is that they... They were doubting the goodness and faithfulness of God, even while they were experiencing his blessings. Uh, He said that, here's what they were doing. You know how under the Old Testament law, they had to bring sacrifices to God? You know, they would bring a lamb to the temple or the tabernacle, and that lamb would be sacrificed, put to death, and then the the meat and all that would go to take care of those who worked at the tabernacle or the temple at the place of worship. Um, And God said, you need to bring a perfect lamb, one that no, it says no spot, no blemish, no problems with this lamb. And what they were doing was this. They had a lamb that had broken its leg and it hadn't healed right. And so it's always hobbling along and can't keep up with the rest of them. They say, "Uh, let's give that one to God. Or the one that, you know, um, had some other issue and just, and so anything to fix, give, give the, our leftovers to God. Give the ones we don't want anymore to God. And he says, you're not supposed to be doing that. And he was challenging them about it. Now, let me tell you why that really mattered. I mean, to us in our day, we say, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this, that that lamb that they were offering was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he told his disciples, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ was gonna be the fulfillment of that picture, every sacrifice. He was gonna be the the, uh, fulfillment of that. And Jesus Christ was perfect, perfect son of God, human and God, but as a human being, he lived a perfect and sinless life. And so that's why they were supposed to offer the perfect lamb and not, Lambs with problems. Because it's portraying Jesus Christ, him being the perfect uh, human being, able to die in our place, paying the penalty for our sins because he had none of his own to pay for. And so when they would give God less than their best, they were really not telling the truth about what God was gonna do in the future. That symbol didn't work anymore. And so they were doing that. Um, They had learned to worship like God's people, but they weren't living like God's people. And he challenges them about that. Uh, Immorality had become a big, big problem. And he's challenging them about that. And people were getting hurt by immorality. Marriages were getting hurt. Uh, The men, the women, children, everybody involved was getting hurt by that. And so he challenges them about that. And, And he challenged them because he says, it's, it's like you know what to say. You, you know the right things to believe, and yet you live like you don't know. 
And the biggest problem is you don't see that there's a problem here. <laughs> and that's what he was challenging about. You, you, you say outwardly and act one way, but how you live is different. And you don't get that that's a problem. It's a problem. All right. And then um, God, speaking through Malachi, comes to the issue of the tithe and challenges them about tithing. And he makes a pretty big deal about it. And the reason he makes a really big deal about it is because, guess what? Your money is about more than money. It's about you and God and your relationship with him and what you believe about him and how you respond to him. It's about more than just money. It's about you and God. And so God starts talking to them about their tithes and what they were doing. Now, let's, let's understand something. 1,400 years before the time of Christ, Moses leads the, the Jewish people out of the land of Egypt and into the, the, um, the wilderness, and eventually they go in the promised land. But in that process, God gave them his law. Starts with the Ten Commandments, which we would know, and then includes all sorts of things, had all sorts of rules and regulations, like we already talked about, about how you make your offerings and the sacrifices, how you handle this issue, how you handle that issue, and just law after law after law, rule after rule, regulation after regulation. And uh, by the way, the Bible is clear that God gave the law so that we would know we can't keep it. That seems kind of strange, doesn't it? But it says that we might know that we are sinners. And so we would know we need a savior. And that was the, one of the main reasons that he gave the law. But in that law, he gave, there were rules and regulations about their tithing. And they had to give a double tithe. Okay, tithe, first 10%, and then they had to give it again. I mean, how would you like that? If you said, you know what, I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna write, trust God, write a tithe. You write a tithe check to the church, or you go online and, and give 10%, and he says, uh, <clears throat> okay, do another one. What? <laughs> oh, by the way, every third year, you need to give a third one, another one. Okay, if to take care of the poor. So about 23 and a third percent, on average, they would have been giving. That was the law. That was the rules. That's what they were supposed to be doing. They weren't doing it. They had figured out how to say, well, maybe we don't have to give that much. Or maybe they figured, hey, we had a really uh, low year here. Uh, let's make this the third year. <laughs> right? And they began to rationalize these kinds of things. Some people just quit giving altogether. And so God here is challenging his people through Malachi about what they're doing. Now, important theological understanding here. The statement is this. We, as Christians, are not under the law. And that is really good news. Because we couldn't keep it. But we are not under the law. We don't have all those obligations that we have to keep. And so Jesus Christ came, and the reason we don't is because Jesus Christ came and he lived that perfect sinless life. He fulfilled the law. He kept the law perfectly. Not just outwardly, but from the heart. He kept the whole law perfectly because we couldn't. And he died on the cross paying the penalty for our sins. And so the law has already been fulfilled. We don't have to try to live by the law. We don't have to try to follow all these rules to somehow rather keep our relationship with God going right. That's a good thing. So we are not under the law. So having said that, Malachi's writing to people under the law, talking to them about these issues. We're not under the law, so hey, what's the point of even being concerned about it? Except the Bible says this. The Apostle Paul said it. The Holy Spirit led him to. All Scripture 
is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How much scripture is profitable? All of it. That means that even to us who aren't under the law, that these, uh, uh, what God was saying to those who were under the law does have application to us in some way. So how do we handle that? Well, what we do is we, we, when we uh, go and look and, and, and read about the instructions of people under the law and how God was interacting with them, what we look and say is, what is still true for us today? What principles do we see here that work? What's still right and wrong? What is God still like? How should we be viewing God and responding to God? We look for those kinds of things. Not talking about trying to fulfill the exact details of the law. All right, so here's what we're going to do with, with Malachi as we read this. If God gave them instructions, okay, two tithes and one, another one every third year, was that how God wanted them to give? I know I ask trick questions, but this isn't one. If God told them to give two tithes, another, is that how God wanted them to give? Okay, well, us as Christians, God has told us things in his words about how he wants us to give. And so that's how we will look at this passage of scripture. When he's talking about tithes, we're not gonna think about the law and all those requirements. We're gonna think about, well, what do we understand here about how God wants us to give and what does it mean? Well, how does God want us to give? We've already seen it. First of all, he wants us to give proportionally off the top. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16.2, we're to give as God has prospered. This is proportional giving. In other words, you're going to give a certain percentage. If God gives you a lot, you're going to give a lot. You're going to give that same percentage. If God gives you a little bit, you give the same percentage. You're trusting God with that. Now, we did talk, and, and I, I tried to challenge you and encourage you about this, that the tithe is given as an example of giving way before the law of Moses ever came into being. Okay, way back in the time of Abraham. Very first time we ever have uh, an amount, uh, percentage connected with giving in the Bible, it's a tenth. So starting place, and it continues after the law is done away with in Christ. And the examples we see there are people giving more than a tenth. And so my challenge to you, really, is to start with that first tenth. And I know some of you, you hear me say that and you're still like, oh, blown away. I get that. But I want to tell you, God is able to meet your needs, and God is good. He will meet your needs. But let me say this. We are not under the law. We're not under the law. And so it's incumbent upon you to get with God and approach God and say, God, you've told me I need to give you proportionally. What does that mean? What am I supposed to do? And if you settle with God that he wants you to start with 5%, start with 5% and live by the principles of the word. But I personally, I want to encourage you, oh, go bigger. Trust God with more, and you'll experience his reality in more. But anyway, so we're to give proportionally off the top. The second way we're supposed to give is willingly from the heart. Remember the Apostle Paul says, so uh, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to give willingly, not because I got to give. <laughs> Right? In fact, if you're, I gotta give, I have, just keep it. Seriously, just keep it. Because if you're giving that way, you're not giving the way God wants you to give. So don't do it. Better yet, decide to give willingly from the heart and give to God this way. And then the third thing 
this is a little bit of a different concept, but when we give proportionally to God, that gift, and I'm gonna, I'll just use the word tithe, okay? Whatever your percentage, you end up with you and God. When you give that tithe, it is intended to be representative of the whole. The first 10% is intended to represent the 100%. Think, back in Proverbs, when he challenges to honor the Lord with your first fruits, the first fruits of what? Of all your increase. In other words, this first 10% or whatever percent is intended to represent all of it. That I am doing, God, I am honoring you with this offering because I want to acknowledge that you are the one who has given me all this and I am going to use all of this the way that you want me to. In other words, this isn't where you can write your 10% and then go just do whatever you want. That's not giving the way God intends. Giving the way God intends is giving this to him as being representative of the whole thing, okay? All right, so this is how we're gonna uh, think about how God wants us to give as we look at this passage in Malachi. So let's turn to Malachi, if you haven't already. Chapter three, page 1106 in the Bible that's there in the pew. And we'll jump right in on it, start in verse number eight. He says, will a man rob God? Now, let's just stop right here because it's, it's the implication. You know, there used to be a day and age, used to be, and probably still is in some people's mind, uh, people who are the criminal element that they'll steal from you and they'll steal from their business, but they think twice, three times before they steal from the church. Why? Is it a good idea to rob from God? And so that's kind of what God's saying. Would someone rob God? You think, oh no, who would rob God? You wouldn't want to do that. And then God continues, he says, yet you have robbed me. That's what you have done. But you say, well, in what way have we robbed you? And God answers, in tithes and offerings, in giving the way that you're supposed to give. God tells us, we know how he told us, but he tells us to give proportionally off the top. He tells us to give willingly from the heart. He tells us to give and, and in our, be conscious that this is a representation of the whole thing. And that's where we're to give. And when we don't do that, when we don't give, we're, we're holding for ourselves something that God says belongs to him. And so in a sense, we rob him. Now, does God need the money? No, God doesn't need the money. In fact, he says somewhere in the Psalms, it's, I think it's the Psalms, he says, if I was hungry, do you think I would come to you? <laughs> I've got everything. It's all mine. I don't need, God doesn't need money. We need to give it. Okay. But he says, you have robbed me. And so what sense has he, have we robbed him? Well, as we go on down, look at this, we're going to see what we have robbed him of is the opportunity to do a great work in our lives because of what we learn when we give to God this way. We've robbed him of that opportunity. We've robbed him of the opportunity to bless us for our giving in ways that are a great testimony for him. We are robbing him of these things. And, and really, we're robbing ourselves. We're robbing ourselves as well, which is what he says next. He says, you are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. You guys are robbing me, you're, and, and you're cursed with a curse. Now, do you think that means that God said, wait, you didn't give your tithe today. 
You put a curse on them? No, no, no. This is sowing and reaping laws. And if you aren't going to open up your heart and give to God, then you aren't going to experience this growing heart relationship with God. You're going to experience this small view of the world and money, and you're going to, you're going to be stuck there. And he says, that's a curse. You're missing out. You're robbing God. You're robbing yourself. And then here's the challenge. Bring all, that's an important word, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Not just that, he's telling Israel, not just that first one, not just that second one, not just that, you know, bring them all. In other words, for us, he says, give the way I want you to give. Give the way I want you to give. And he says that there may be food in my house. He says that first. So understand this, that God intends for our giving like this, our giving off the top, the way we talked about to meet the needs of his church. Back then it would have been the tabernacle temple. Here it's his church. That's how he plans to meet that need. And when we are faithful to do that, God does meet that need. But he goes on and talks about a whole lot more than that. He says, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I don't know if you realize how significant that is. Try me. Try it out. Test me. Put me to the test. Does anybody in here have any uh, remembrance? Um, what does God usually say about testing him? He says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't put yourself in that place. Do not test me. Don't play games with me. But God here in this area of our life, talking about you know, letting go and giving and trusting and all he says, Test me. Try it. Try and see. See what happens. And so here's what he says what's going to happen if you'll do this. He says, see, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, he's not telling us that all of this blessing is always in cash. We have good reason to believe as we look at the scriptures that if we give to God this way, he will meet our needs. He's promised to do that, okay? And he will do that, most definitely. And sometimes he does bless us with more money. And the more faithful we are with it, the more likely he is to bless us with more because he knows we'll use it the way he wants it used. But it's about other things because what do we say about our money? Your money is not just about money, it's about you and God. And when we begin to trust him this way, it affects how we look at life, it affects the decisions we make, and puts us in a place for God to work in our lives, not just in our money, but in all the areas of our lives. He can bless us. Because um, here's what happened. What's the question we said we want to ask when we get money? God, what's this money for? Oh, well now all of a sudden in life comes along an opportunity. And rather than me just wrestle with the opportunity to make a decision, I say, wait a minute, this opportunity, God, God, what's this opportunity for? And I make a different choice. And I experience the blessings of God because of it. And maybe once in a while, you know, it, it, it hits you all of a sudden, you look at your husband and you look at your wife. And instead of saying, what is this person for? That was supposed to be funny. 
But you do say, I'll send you look at your husband and wife and realize that, that this is the man or woman God has given. God, what is this relationship for? What do you want me to do in this relationship? You see how this, when we get the giving thing right, it begins to spill out all over our lives. And God can bless us. And the blessings that he gives us uh, can be a sense of purpose, a sense of peace. I guarantee you, if you learn to give to God this way, when the economic world around us falls down, you will have peace in your heart and mind because you know God will take care of you. And how do you know? Because he already has. You've already been trusting him. And you've already found him to be faithful to take care of you, to be able to do it, and to be good to do it. You've already learned that. So see, I mean, your life changes. And you'll say, God has, I mean, when I look at my life and think about it, and, and you know, of course, I know me, I know all the stuff about me that I don't want you to know about me. God knows all that stuff too, right? And yet, he has so worked in my life. And bless me, I could say, truly, God has opened the doors of heaven, the windows of heaven, and poured this out, this blessing that's more than I would have ever expected. And then he goes on and talks about how he does this and ways he takes care of us. Verse 11. By, by the way, do you see how this starts to get exciting? And what we just read, that's what you rob God of doing in your life when you don't give this way. And that's what you rob yourself of experiencing when you don't do it that way. All right, he says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Now, now, they were an agricultural society, and so, you know, they would give to God the first fruits, give the tenth off the top, not knowing what was going to happen with the crop, not knowing if the locusts were showing up, not knowing if a killer frost was coming, not knowing any, there were a drought, and so they trusted God, and God says, you trust me like this, I'll make sure that your crops make it. I'll make sure that your stuff lasts. I'll make sure I meet your needs. And Here's the deal. When God's meeting our needs this way, we don't see it. We don't see it up front. If God meets my needs because somebody hands me an envelope with cash in it that pays a bill I have, I go, what? Wow, God, you met this need. But when I go outside and start my car in the morning, I don't go, wow, God kept my car running today. But you know that may be exactly what he's done. Isn't it possible? I mean, the nation of Israel, when they were in the wilderness. Why don't you go ahead and put that verse up there, if you would, from uh, Exodus, I think it is. Or, or, oh, yeah, Deuteronomy. He said this, and I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. How could that happen, walking around in the desert? Only one way it could happen, and that's if what? God made them last. See, he can, God can do with the, if the 90% left over much more than you could do with the 100% if you keep it all. He can and he will. That's what he's telling us. He will do that. And, and then he fed them too in the wilderness. In Exodus 16, he says, so the people of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they arrived at the land where they would settle. Remember, this is food that God miraculously provided every night. Okay, and he took care of them. So God is well able to do that. Let me just give you an example, uh, two examples. One Dave talked about in the podcast last week. I don't know if you, if you watched that or not. Uh, but we talked about God making things last, right? And blessing us in that way. And, and he was talking about he and Debbie wanting a, a new microwave, you know, an over-the-range microwave. But they thought, well, let's just wait on God and trust God for this. And uh, if, if our old microwave breaks, then we'll go get it. 
And how long did you have it? 14 years or something, right? It's the microwave that would not break. Uh, but the point is, I'm saying God can make things last. He can do that. For us and our family, let me tell you how God has done stuff about pulling out the blessings and rebuking the devourer and all that. I was thinking about this this week and, and, and adding it up. When, when I first got married, I had a car payment. I still had a car payment. I bought a Honda Civic, 1977 Honda Civic. And the car payment was $108.23. And I know that because I couldn't pay it. Okay? Got married, moved to Bible college, and wasn't making very much money. I wasn't able to pay that debt that I had incurred. That's why, you know, we don't go on that anymore. But the point is, um, got that paid off shortly after we moved here in 1982. All done, paid off. We have never had a car payment again. We've trusted God in the ways we're talking. Not perfectly, right? I mean, we're human. We have our struggles too. But I want to tell you, I added up. In the 30 plus years we've been here, we have spent on buying cars $14,000. That's not very much. A lot of people spend that on one car. And yeah, we haven't always had the newest cars, but God always kept us in cars. Either a really good deal or sometimes a car that came that we didn't have to pay for for some reason. And I just, I, I'm driving a nice car today. It's old. Between our two cars, we got about 350,000 miles on the two cars. And they're still going, but they're nice cars. So, I mean, God can take care of us in ways we don't know and don't realize. And don't I'm not telling you it's wrong to go out and get a new car. If you can do that and God tells you, go for it. Have fun. I'm just trying to get you to see, can God take care of us? And sometimes in ways we don't realize, he does. All right, so let's continue. And he says, and all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Talking to Israel about how he's going to bless them when they get this right. They says, your land's going to be an awesome place. People from other parts of the world will say, wow, this place is special. This place is different. And here's what will happen for you and I. When we get this right and we begin giving to God the way that he wants us to give, and especially that we're giving as a representative of the whole and we're trying to grow here and we're saying, what's this money for? And we're doing that. God will work in your life in such a way that you will have a testimony for him. You will be able to tell people, hey, let me, listen, let me tell you how God has taken care of us. God is real. His word is true. Let me, let me, show you. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. He will work in your life. He will work in your life in ways you don't even know or understand. He will. How do we know he will? Because he says he will. And God keeps his word. So I really want to challenge you today uh, this is where it starts to get exciting. You settle the issue and then you start seeing God work. And sometimes you see it right up front. I had that happen plenty of times. Sometimes you see it way down the road and you look back and say, wow, look where we are. And it gets exciting. I don't know how to explain it to you. Except to do it, step out and trust God. And I, I guarantee you, if you do this with the right heart attitude and you step out and trust God, you will never, ever regret it. Have you ever regretted any decisions you made in life? I have. I've never regretted this one. Never. 
In fact, I want to give more. What would it be like if people walk in a lifeless church and there are hundreds of people who God is blessing like this? Wow. They will say, God is real and his word is true. I can see it in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for telling us these things that, that seem counterintuitive. Us. It doesn't make sense to us uh, from our human standpoint, Father, to give away something like 10% right up the top. And, but you said that you will work. You said that you will provide for us. You said that you will go beyond that and you will bless us and that you will 